Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, it's me again. Hello. Lee Jackson, America's finest watchman here with you. Hey, what's happening? Found any good deals lately? Huh? I know they're out there. All you got to do is look. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. All right, so let's talk about watches, shall we? I want to talk about Hamilton's. I want to talk about Hamilton's today. Um, if you're collecting watches, you kind of have to decide when you start, what are you collecting? Are you collecting American? Are you collecting Swiss? Other companies, other areas of the world? What exactly are we collecting? If you're going to collect vintage, one of the mainstays of American vintage is Hamilton. Very, very good quality. They started in 1893 in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, making pockets, of course. And they went all the way to the late 60s when they were absorbed by, I guess, a Swiss company started putting Swiss watches out under Hamilton's name. But up until then, they were one of the finest watch companies we had. By 1936, they had produced over 3 million watches. That That's pockets, wrist, everything. And they did a lot of pockets. Their pocket watches were very, very good. So if you go to early Hamilton's, Hamilton was big on tank watches, which are rectangles, very big for some reason. Maybe that's why I like them so much, because I like tanks. I think they're a smart look myself, rather than round to me is kind of boring. Um, they made all kinds of designs. Most of their tank watches, they were big in the 30s and 40s into the 50s, had solid gold numbers on the dial, like 18 karat solid numbers on the dial. Really cool looking. Uh, their movements were excellent. They went all the way to 21 joule movements. Um, they had, again, applied gold numbers and uh, markers on their dials. And the quality was very good. Now, in the 20s, they started, when wristwatches first got going, in the late 20s, they came up with these really interesting designs with enamel chapter rings on the outside, like a bezel, but enamel with numbers. And those watches were the Coronado. And the Piping Rock is the most famous, and the Spur, and those are beautiful. They have a black bezel with silver numbers embedded in that enamel bezel. Really beautiful. It doesn't turn or anything, and, it, and they're squarish or roundish. One is to no shape, one is round, and then the Spur, I think, is round also. But very cool-looking watches. Um, again, when you find watches from that period... You got to look at the enamel on that ring. How demolished is it? Because if it's really bad, it's hard to restore. So I wouldn't even mess with them if they were really bad. They also had a cover one, like a hunting cover. It was in the early 30s. That was one of those designs that got turned into a little cover. You could put your initials on, had a hinge, kind of like the Jaeger Culture, except this actually had a flap over the top. Uh, they made a lot of gold filled, and they were all 14 karat. An 18 karat yellow gold filled. They made 14 and 18 karat watches. They made white gold. Was white gold was big in the 20s. So when you look at those watches like the Coronado and the Piping Rock, which have the chapter bezel, a lot of times they're going to be white gold. That was really big back in the 20s, believe it or not. I know it's crazy, but that was big, really big. Um, the watches are hard to find in good condition. And they're very finicky because they're antiques. So you got to be really careful with them. And you got to look hard. I mean, there's lots of Hamiltons. 
Most of them are really beautiful. The yellow gold filled cases, if they're in good shape, are nice. Sometimes they have designs on the sides or the top, uh, like engraving, like the early 20s. Everything, the whole top of the case was engraved. Really cool look. I kind of like it. Uh, they also had chrome cases back then, and they were cases that were plated in chrome. Um, usually, those watches are from the 20s that have all the engravings all over the bezel and the lugs. They say Hamilton on them. They're made in Hamilton's factory. They're nicely, nice 17 jewel watches or more. They have 19 jewel watches. They run great. Hamilton's were a really good watch, and they're not super expensive if you want to start collecting something really vintage and really nice. Hamilton's are a very good option. They made doctor's watches in the 30s. Doctor's watch is where you have a regular uh, watch face on the top without the seconds, just the hands, the hour and the minutes, and then the bottom, which was as large as the top, had seconds. So if you're a doctor, you could time the patient's pulse or their heartbeat, stuff like that. Easy to see. Uh, as we go along through the 20s into the 30s, Hamilton and a lot of other companies at the same time came up with these really beautiful oversized tank watches that had diamonds all over the dial, and they were big. A lot of times they were a contract case, which means Hamilton didn't make the case. So you could find a lot of different movements and, and uh, watch companies put their guts and their dial inside a case that's the same for everybody. I've seen long jeans. I've seen all kinds. Hamilton was a good one. And they have diamonds on the dial, whether they're chips or they have dots. Even the number can be in uh, diamonds. Those are quite rare and quite expensive. They're really beautiful. They just call them a rectangle, but they're beautiful. They usually have an American contract case. Remember, American. So it's not going to be a British contract case. They're usually in 14 karat white gold or yellow gold. The white ones are just gorgeous. And this is, you're talking in the mid-40s to late 40s. And they're bigger, too. Now, my favorite of that whole era is called a top hat case. And everybody, all the big makers, made top hat cases. Uh, top hat watches like Paddock had one, which uh, a friend of mine, his wife used to wear. Gorgeous, absolutely stunning watch. Top hat has two bands on top and bottom, kind of art deco looking, beautiful with diamond dial, really killer piece. Um, there's also one called a bomb timer duo, which is similar to a doctor's watch, except everything's turned to the side. In other words, the 12 on the dial is at the three position, and it's a smaller dial sitting on top believe it or not, of the seconds dial, kind of smashed together. So they're kind of overlap each other. And then you have other areas of the dial that have nothing. So that's kind of cool. So as we go along, we still have the beautiful square cases. And then as Hamilton went along into the 50s, they came up with their electric watch. And the electric watch was designed by Hamilton, came out in, I think, 57 or 58. It was a 500, <coughs> excuse me, the movement was called a 500. And I've talked about this before. Because it was space age, they brought it out in space age cases like the Pacer, the, the men in black wear, that kind of triangular one. And again, you can buy it today. They've remade them all with quartz movements. But originally they had a uh, mechanical battery powered movement. It was called a Hamilton Electric. And the 500 they had for a few years was not the greatest movement. They had all kinds of problems with it. And the batteries don't last like they do today, you know, where you put a battery in a quartz watch and it lasts like two years or more. Not in those days, it didn't. 
you had watches where the batteries didn't last more than six months and you'd have to go and have them changed, but no winding. And they ticked like a regular watch. You can actually time them on a timing machine, which is kind of cool. Now the cases were really wild. You had the Pacer, which is the granddaddy of them all. You had Flight One, which was kind of asymmetrical, off-kilter looking. You had Golden Tempest, which is a, had really interesting lugs. It was a round watch. You had Flight One and Flight Two, and these are worth some of these are worth a lot of money. The originals today. You had the Meteor, which is an asymmetrical watch. A lot of them were gold filled. Some of them came both ways, gold filled. You could get a diamond dial on some of them, or you could get the case in solid gold. Um, after a while, they had so much trouble with their electric watches, believe it or not, but they're great. I mean, they're very cool, but they had problems with them. They came out with a better, an improved movement called the 505. And that one did a lot. Uh, that made the watches much more reliable. They even had a railroad watch with the electric movement in it, which is a really cool piece to find, but it's not wild. It's not asymmetrical or any of that. It's still an interesting, interesting piece. Um, they had other ones in the electric series. They had, let me read some of them because they had a lot. One of my favorites is called the Spectra, which looks kind of like a turbine. It's asymmetrical. Uh, it had a 500 in it. came out in 58. had gold markers with a black or white dial. Uh, very cool, very cool. And then another one they had was called the Savitar, which these are all asymmetrical watches, which means they're not round or square. They're off kilter altogether. And the, the electric Savitar came out in 60 with a little bit of a different movement, a 501. And then there was one called the Taurus, which came out in 64. By this time, they had the 505, which was a much better movement because people were complaining that they're movements were acting up so i guess they didn't like that very much um and then again the pacer came out which had both movements in it if you what you can do also by the way if you find someone that works on these watches is you could change your 500 movement to a 505 which is a the same movement just improved better movement uh did we talk about the vega that came out in 61 that's these are all really weird looking they had one called the saturn which looks similar to the spectra very similar. Um, another really cool one is the Polaris, where the top lugs are normal and then the bottom lugs are like a ribbon almost, like a, like a tied knot on the bottom, and yet the, the top lugs stick straight up. Uh, there's another one called the Sea Electric. That came out in 61. So they were making them for a while. There's another one, Everest 2, which had a rectangle, kind of a square case with attached looking lugs, kind of band looking lugs. Came out in 65, and that had the 505 in it, I think. There was the Vantage, which is very similar looking to the Everest. There's the Titan, which I've had. is a very cool looking watch. had really weird lugs, round watch. There's the Nautilus. So that came out in 64. And here's the Railroad Special. came out in 63, had a 505. And if it was a railroad watch, that means it really had to go through rigorous testing to be a railroad watch. It wasn't, you just didn't call any watch a railroad watch. You had to really make sure that watch was a really good timekeeper because when you're on the railroad, you've got to know what time it is to the moment. And that was a biggie. Okay, the next one is, let's see, Regulus. That's another really weird one. This is when they got to the end of the line on the electrics, they started making the cases more normal. 
Uh, there's another one called a Van Horn Masterpiece, and I know I've had that one. That's a really cool looking watch with weird lugs at an angle. Uh, there's another Nautilus that came out toward the end called the Nautilus 502. And it's kind of normal round with a cool looking dial, interesting looking lugs. Had the 505 movement in it, which as I've said was the better movement to get. There was the Spectra 2, which is a square watch, but the center was round. That's kind of interesting. Then they started coming out with more normal stuff. Uh, when you get into the middle 60s, they had a Nautilus 600, which looked like a normal round watch. They had a Nautilus 500, which looked even more normal. Then they had one called a Lord Lancaster J. And this came out late, 67, 68, it was electric. So it had been around for about 10 years now. And it had very strange looking lugs, very um, kind of geometric looking lugs, really weird. They had the Pegasus, which was a square watch that looked very similar to the Everest and the Vantage. It was square, except the center was round and it looked like it had a, um, like a Florentine case. It was gold filled, had a 505 in it. That was 65. Then there's a Nautilus 401 that's a little bit of a strange bezel on it, kind of engine turn, a little offbeat looking. Uh, that one's a nice one. Then there's Titan 2, which again had that very strange case, kind of teardrop looking case with weird looking, uh, squarish looking lugs. There's a Clearview Electric, which had a transparent case back, which would look very similar to the railroad watch, a simple watch, except the crown was down at four o'clock instead of three o'clock. Why, I have no idea. But a lot of their watches had that. The crown was down at four o'clock on a lot of these electrics. Yeah, most of them. Yep, most of them. Uh, you had another uh, Nautilus. There's a couple of them. There's a 400, there's a 604. I mean, there's a whole bunch of these electric watches. Hamilton hit the market hard with these electric watches. It was the biggest, the biggest advancement in timekeeping ever. It really was. Even though it was flawed, it still was great. And the cases are so killer that you're going to absolutely want to get one of these things. Really, really cool. Um, Hamilton started to decline in the late 60s. And I guess Swiss was just taken over and a lot of the American companies just went kablooey at that time. It's really a shame because their stuff was so beautiful. And their quality was really good. I mean, America ruled the waves for many years in pocket watches and in wristwatches for the mass market. America beat everybody. They were beating the Swiss hands down. Plus, there were tariffs. When you bring the Swiss watches into the U.S., they would add taxes on them so that everybody was more expensive. So they would buy American. And American companies dominated. There was Waltham from Waltham, Massachusetts, Elgin from Elgin, Illinois, and Hamilton from uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And then you had Benris, which was kind of Swiss, American Swiss, and a couple other hangers on. But the real mainstays were Hamilton and Elgin with Waltham right on their heels. And Elgin was a really good company too. They made excellent watches. Now remember, Hamilton did not make automatic watches until they switched over to Swiss. So when you see a Hamilton automatic, it's later. It's definitely after uh, mid to late 60s. And if you look at the bottom on the dial, it'll say Swiss instead of nothing because the Americans didn't have to say anything on their watches, but when they're Swiss, they did. So we're going to take a break here and be right back. Uh, thank you again. Love to see you. Love to hear from you. And we'll be right back.
hey, back again, back again. So let's talk more, a little bit more about Hamilton's. Um, when they went into the late 60s, they became a Swiss company virtually, and most of their watches are just run-of-the-mill Swiss. They're not bad. They're just not Hamilton's made with the quality Hamilton made of. The American manufacturers, Hamilton, in my opinion, was the best of the best. They were really good. They were surprisingly excellent watches. And I say that because when you talk about Vacherons and Paddocks and all that, yeah, Hamilton's not that far behind. I mean, they don't have the same quality as the, the Paddocks and the Vacherons, but they're, for American, they're very good quality. They have 17 to 21 jewels. They're handmade. Remember again, all of these Hamiltons are manual wine. No, no automatics until they switch over to the Swiss side. And you can find all kinds of, if, especially if you like tanks, Tonneaus are kind of bowed at 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock. Tanks are kind of longer. And then squares also. They didn't make too many squares. Most of their watches were tanks. That, the first watch I ever collected, other than my dad's watch, which was a Vacheron, was a Hamilton. Solid gold. I think I paid $400 retail for it. And it was a really nice watch. Beautiful. The problem is you have to watch exactly what you're doing when you buy a watch because what if it needs service? What if you have to spend a lot of money? you got to keep that in mind. In the old days, like I've said many times, it was not expensive to get a watch overhaul. Today it is. So you have to keep that in mind. How's it running? And it's going to need service. Most of these Hamiltons have snapbacks on them, which means they will leak. Air, water, you got to be really careful. And another thing with earlier watches, you have to keep them away from magnetic influences like the back speakers. Anything that's got a magnet can screw up your watch really big time. Earlier, they were not anti-magnetic. I know it sounds stupid. You don't think about it. But I have antique watches, and when you get them near a magnet, they start running crazy. And you have to demagnetize them to get them to run right again. So that's something you need to think about. Like I was wearing an antique yesterday, and I wanted to pull out a speaker of something and put it in. And I said, wait a minute, because I'm wearing this watch, today's not a good day to do this. I do not want to mess it up altogether. So I didn't. I said, I'll wait another day. Today I'm wearing a different watch that is more modern and probably won't uh, be affected by magnetism, so I'm okay. Uh, Hamilton made a lot of ladies' watches, too. Beautiful. All these diamond-encrusted, they're small cases, you know, the little old-fashioned ladies' watches. Hamilton made a lot of them. So when you see these watches that are diamond-encrusted from the 30s, 40s, 50s, you got to look at the make too. Is it Elgin? Is it Hamilton? Who is it? You want a better make if you can get it on that because yeah, it's covered in diamonds, but what about the watch itself? I've seen the most gorgeous cases, the most gorgeous bands and the watches were not that great. It's kind of a shame. And a lot of these things are contract cases, which means they make the case, they make the band, all the diamonds, all that. And then they contract with a watchmaker to put their movement and dial inside that case. So some of them are interchangeable. A lot of these contract cases that you see in the 20s and 30s are interchangeable with other watches too. It depends. You got to look at it and see what's in there. And if it says it's a contract case, then it doesn't matter really what's in there. And that was normal at the time. Normally today, you want a watch that is triple signed. You want a watch where the dial says the name of the manufacturer, the case says the name of the manufacturer, and the movement. Well, back in the 20s and into the 30s, they would buy cases from manufacturers. Um, Europe did it too. 
not not people like Vacheron and so on. You don't see that much of that, but you do see it in the less expensive Swiss movements. They have contract cases also, especially in England. England's really interesting because here in the U.S. we're used to 18 carat and 14 carat. In England, and sometimes 10 carat. In England, nine carat was really big. And the case maker for those nine carat was a company called Denison. That's really big. So when you open up a watch, you see Denison on the case and it's British or it says nine carat. That's normal. That's what they did. You're not going to see real high grades um, in nine carat cases made by somebody else. They did make their own Rolex made nine carat cases also. And the reason I like the nine carat and the 10 carat, see, they've been polluted in our minds because you watch TV and they show all these pieces of jewelry in 10 carat and it's crap. I mean, it's just a cheap way of putting a gold, solid gold ring or bracelet or whatever is 10 carats, less gold in it. So it's cheaper. In the old days, 10 carat was not used that way. It was used to make it stronger and less expensive. And 10 carat is a percentage, a lower percentage. It's 10 carats out of 24. So the percentage is 0 0.375, 37.5% of solid gold and the rest is alloy and other metals. And it makes the case stronger. Looks like gold, wears like gold, because it is gold, but it's stronger. The higher the content of gold in a case or in jewelry in general, the softer the gold's gonna be, the easier to dent, the easier to bend, that's why if you look a lot of these nine and 10 carat cases hold up really well from early, early, early days. So keep your eyes open. Those are a good deal. And if you're looking for watches, you might want to look up 10 carat or nine carat. 10 carat was for the US, nine carat was mostly for England, but they're available. Rolex made in both, believe it or not. So if you want to find a really good deal, look for that. I do, I look at them. I mean, I wouldn't mind getting one especially when you get to older stuff, then it's really cool. Better to buy less gold content than gold filled or gold plated or rolled gold or any of that because lower content gold is still gold and it's still good. Like my Rolex is 14 karat. Most Rolexes you see are 18 karat. Mine's original 14. So it's stronger. It holds up better. Looks better too long term. So keep that in mind. There's a balancing act you got to do between the gold content of a case or, or a watch and how's it going to wear. That's why stainless is good because it's really a hard material. It's harder to, to buff. It's harder to damage. It's a really strong material, but so is lower, uh, lower gold. Okay. So let's go back to Hamilton. They had some very interesting stepped cases. They didn't have really, they did have some strange, but not tons of really offbeat cases till you hit the fifties. That's when Elgin was coming up with their really weird looking cases. Hamilton tried, but they didn't do it. It didn't look as good. Their weird cases are neat, but if you want to look at really strange cases that are really interesting to collect, look at Elgin in the 50s. Their line's called Lord Elgin. Really, really good too. They had Elgin, Elgin Deluxe and Lord Elgin. And Elgin was 17 carat, 17 joules, excuse me, movement. Uh, Elgin Deluxe is 19 joule movement. And their finest was called Lord Elgin. And it had a 21 joule movement in there. A lot of the cases were solid or gold filled. And they were very strange, asymmetrical, bizarre looking cases that are really cool now to have. I think back then they were so space age because that was Sputnik and all that. And Hamilton had the electric, which had really strange cases. So Elgin kind of countered 
with uh, regular watches, but with really weird cases. And the same thing goes for Elgin. You don't see Elgin automatics until Elgin was kind of taken over by the Swiss again in the late 60s. So the earlier stuff is manual wind. And what that means is you just have to wind it in the morning till it stops. You don't go real hard, but you feel it kind of push against you, let off. And then I like to wind it again in the early evening. And you probably don't want to sleep with those kind of watches because they're kind of delicate. You know, if you bang your hand, your arm in your sleep or something, you might mess it up. Better to take them off and never get near water with any of these antiques. Don't even wash your hands if you can help it near that watch because moisture will get into the watch and it will ruin the movement. So you want to be careful, see what kind of movement it is, see what kind of case is it a snap case or a hinged case. When you get into the, into the 20s, uh, they had what's called hinge cases. They were on a hinge. They popped open that way. Then they decided a new version was the snapback, which kind of snapped together, but it's metal on metal. And if you've ever done plumbing and put a faucet or a pipe together without some kind of buffer, like plumber's tape or something, it leaks metal on metal, water gets in. And that's the problem with these snapback cases. They're not completely waterproof. They're made for dress. They're not really made for um, having fun, beating them up, going all over the place, doing all doing your thing. So you got to be careful with them and you got to be careful getting near a magnet. And what I always say is if you're going to do any kind of work with your hands, take your watch off, put it in your pocket while you work. Duh. I mean, you want to protect it. Those watches, the reasons that they're not in good shape is because people beat the hell out of them. They kept them on their wrist. They were not really made for that kind of work. Hard work was not a good mix with antique watches. They really weren't. You today, yes, you can do it. You'll bet you beat them up, but they won't uh, fall apart from hard work. But I still would take them off. Even the modern watches that I have, if I'm going to start banging something with a hammer, I will take it off my wrist. Absolutely, take it off my wrist completely. All right. So have we talked about enough about Hamilton Electrics and Hamilton as a company? They're 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 smaller than today. Keep that in mind. In the old days, watches were much smaller than they are today. So you got to be ready for a smaller watch. You're not going to find a gigantic Hamilton tank from the old days like today. You know, you have tanks that are 38 to 44 millimeters. In the old days, they were much, much smaller. And I kind of like that personally, that the smaller size. I, I've told you many times, I'm not crazy about these gigantic watches. I mean, I saw a woman's watch. It was beautiful the other day. It was 44 millimeter, which is like the size almost of a silver dollar. Huge. But that's what people are wearing. And you can thank Arnold for that. I think he single-handedly got everybody looking at bigger watches. And then, of course, all the watch companies jumped on board and said, okay, I think we could do that. And that's what they do. Okay, so Hamilton was an American company, started 1893, went out of business somewhere in the late 60s. It never really closed. They just sold out to the Swiss or got taken over or something like that. And then they started putting A-Shield movements in their watches, which I like a Hamilton movement better than an A-Shield movement. An original Hamilton, to me, is a better movement. But that's me. What the hell do I know? A lot. And if you want to look for really interesting-looking watches from the 50s, uh, Elgin's a good choice. And remember, the later the watch, the better it's going to run, the more robust it's made. So if you want an antique look, I would look at the 50s because you can still get that antique looking watch and they're made a lot stronger than 30s and 40s. I mean, the further back you go, the weaker they are. They're just the fact of the matter. They had 
advancements as they went along and made them stronger and better and water resistant cases and shot proof movements. I mean, if you drop an antique watch, it's a goner. It really is. Either the crystal will shatter if it's glass from the 20s or teens, or you'll break the balance staff or the balance wheel will pop off and you got to take it in and have it fixed and it's expensive. So you don't want that. You want to keep your watch in good shape. You want to take care of it and clean it up and wear it. And you can use, believe it or not, you can use toothpaste on the case and the crystal. Crystals, a lot of them are acrylic, which is plastic, and they scratch. So if you don't want to get into buffing it, because I can tell you how to do that, just use um, toothpaste. It won't hurt it. it. It really won't. Just be careful. You don't want to get it in the watch. And then how do you wash it off without getting water in? What you really should do if you can handle it, remember, if you can handle it, is take the movement out and then wash the case. Okay, so we're just about out of time. And I do thank you for listening. It's always fun. So let's get out of here and we'll see you next time. This is Lee Jackson, America's Finest Watchman. See you later, alligator. Bye.